everyone. You're listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. My name is Kate Copsey and I am the host of the show. You can contact me from my webpage, katecopsey.com or through America's Web Radio Station site. The show this morning is sponsored by our friends at Bonnie Plant. So thank you to them. Um, and this morning, we are going to be talking with Nikki Javor, the award-winning author of Year-Round Vegetable Gardener. Good morning, Nikki. Hey, Kate. Thank you so much for having me on your show again. Oh, you're more than welcome. Um, you are in um, the Nova Scotia area of Canada, which gets uh, lots of snow, particularly this coming weekend. <laughs> you are right. We are. Yeah, we're on the East Coast, so... I always say if I was going to drive to New York City, it would take me about 12 hours if I went south. <laughs> oh, yes. So, so has this been um, an abnormally uh, long winter for you guys up there? Um, yes. <laughs> I think that's the only word. It's been brutal. I think it's been brutal across most of North America. And, uh, you know, it's colder than usual. Um, every I swear, every Wednesday, perfect time, we got a snowstorm that dumped, you know, anywhere from half six inches to a whole foot of snow on us. All winter long, so it's it's been a particularly hard winter. So I think with the cover, you know, perennial plants and such will do really well. But it's been hard, you know, in terms of um, you know the extra cold temperatures in terms of harvesting all winter long. Yes, and I know I put a few things out um, in a little cold frame, uh, and obviously they weren't quite hard, hardened off quite enough, so they're struggling. No. <laughs> the ones that went out two weeks ago are doing fine because we hit, um, I think. Uh, Around ten or twelve, I think this this last couple of nights. But boy, wow. it has been a real challenge to everybody, and we are. <laughs> I think everybody is just begging for spring. Um, oh, yes. yes, but any, anyway, the um, the focus this morning is going to be your new book, uh, Groundbreaking Food Gardens, and it's an amazing collection of garden designs from all over the continent, and some were from Europe, right? That's correct, yeah. There's a handful of contributors from the UK. Um, you know, yeah, basically I, I barred and followed and stalked and, and asked uh, some of my favorite gardeners, you know, whether they're bloggers, home gardeners, professionals, radio hosts like yourself, as you know, Kate, um, you know, for information on how they do things and how they grow things and a plan that, you know, that would be a, a great uh, garden that anybody could create. And, uh, and you know, for two and a half years I worked on this book and, and gathered all that information, techniques, varieties, you know, information, and um, this is the end result, and I'm so glad it's finally out. Yes, and I know, so what kind of inspired you maybe to approach the book in in this way rather than from your own experiences? Well, I think I, 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 you know, I do a lot of talks, you know, I, I get to talk to a lot of people, and one of the things I love to do is find out what gardeners are doing in their own plots. I want to know, you know, what you're fertilizing your soil with. You know, do you make your own compost? What are your, you know, how do you do it so that it's really effective? Or what are your favorite varieties? What's your favorite tomato? Um, you know, I want to know all of these things. You know, what, how do you grow to be more productive? You know, what's your favorite way to grow herbs? Um, you know, these are questions I'm always asking people, and I'm always looking to then maybe use some of their own ideas in my garden. And so it's just kind of snowballed from the curiosity I have about other gardeners. And I think all gardeners are curious about what others are doing because there's always somebody doing something maybe just a little bit more effectively. Um, so, you know, I took that and, and it, it turned into this. <laughs> 
<laughs> and obviously it took a while to get everybody sorted. Um, but, but, uh, and I'm not very organized, let me tell you. This was definitely a test of my organizational skills. <laughs> Um, well, anyway, the, the gardens um, obviously cover a variety um, of different designs, everything from hot dog gardens, cocktail gardens, shade and slope. So how many of uh, – were these people that actually um, met those challenges themselves um, or were they ones that they'd just seen and suggested to you? I think both, honestly. Like, for example, there's, there's a gardener in Canada, Marjorie Harris, and, you know, she's been a well-known gardening personality for decades, and she's amazing. And when she first had her house in her garden, it was very sunny. But over the years, she lives in downtown Toronto, you know, the lar- one of the largest cities uh, up here in Canada, and, you know, more and more shade every year as the trees, you know, encrouched on her property. So she, um, you know, basically designed the garden for us for, for vegetables that would tolerate partial shade, um, you know, sharing her experiences, and it's based on her own garden. You know, but I think basically I wanted everybody to focus on what they loved. You know, whether, you know, Charlie Nardozzi from, um, you know, he's from the northeast of the U.S. You know, he had, he created this really beautiful hedge that anybody could do, but it's made up of a lot of nating, uh, native, sorry, fruiting plants. So you've got this beautiful hedge with all these, you know, lovely berries and, and small fruits instead of putting in, say, just a, a privet hedge. So, you know, it's it almost like thinking differently about the garden and, and thinking, well, how can I include more food plants in the in the landscape? And, again, I just wanted everybody to, to focus on what they loved and what their specialty was. You know, and, of course, I, I know how much you love herbs. Um, and, uh, and so you create this beautiful little formal herb garden that anybody could put anywhere in the U.S., really, or Canada. It would fit in their garden and add a really nice uh, ornamental touch as well as an edible touch to their uh, landscaping. And and weren't these designs meant to be used maybe as uh, templates for mm. all sorts of different um, edibles, or did you envision it as being may, maybe well, if you for most people this is the type of thing um, to put into a garden, or could could people substitute maybe if they're in um, Arizona versus Minnesota? Absolutely, and, and you know I mentioned that in the introduction to the book, and I, I repeated I know throat, but. Like, for example, Nan Sturman lives in California, and she deals with droughts and, and you know, very much uh, problems with lack of water. And, so, and, of course, much more heat than I get in Halifax, Nova Scotia. So her garden, I love the design of it. It's, it's you know, fantastic. But in the back of it, she has this beautiful espalier fig tree. And I can grow figs here, but then I have to have them in a pot and take them inside for the winter. So if I wanted to recreate Nan Sturman's beautiful little garden, then I would have to uh, maybe plant an espalier apple tree instead of a fig. So I would just have to substitute something that would work well in my climate. Um, you know, most of the plants, you know, are, are mainly for zone four, five, six, and the ones that go a little bit higher in that, you know, zone scale for places like California or even Florida, you just have to substitute, you know, maybe plants that will do better locally for you, um, you know, and absolutely you can still recreate the, the ambience of the garden and, and the productivity of the garden. And and is the um, the care of the garden also covered as well as the design element? Well, for each person, you know, I spent a lot of time, as you know, because you were one of them, bothering them, asking them questions and emailing and asking more questions and more questions, um, you know, about their gardens and their plants and how they would do things. And so um, a lot of care information is there, especially if gardens are slightly more formal and might need to be clipped every, you know, year or a couple times a year. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of suggestions on how to maintain the gardens or how to alter the gardens, you know, to maybe suit your own geographic area uh, more specifically, um, you know, as well as, uh, you know, t- 
basically general care and, and, and all that stuff. Yeah, everything was pretty much included, as well as sometimes I even included stories from the, the contributors of, you know, how they got started in gardening and what was their inspiration and, and just, you know, kind of get more of a feel for how they do things and why they do it that way. And are these predominantly small-scale gardens um, rather than large gardens, or is there a mix of, of both in there? Well, you know, in my own property, I live in the city, but I still have an acre of land. Um, but in some parts, you know, in the way my land goes, some parts are very, you know, little awkward, small spots. So I wanted to include gardens that would cover everybody. So even if you have no space at all, if you're in a condo on a deck, there's still, you know, a handful of plants that will apply to you. Because I talk to a lot of gardeners that garden on rooftops, you know, in small balconies, in courtyards. Uh, in places that maybe were awkward and small, and, and how even vertical gardening, there's a section on vertical gardening where you mount things on your wall like pallets. Joe Lample, of course, from Growing a Greener World, he's fabulous, and he gave me a great plan for how to create a pallet garden step-by-step and what to plant in it. Jamie Jenkins, um, you know, she is, has got this wonderful gutter garden that you can hang, you know, on your balcony or porch and still grow small rooted crops like strawberries and salad greens and things like that. Um, so, and of course, then there's larger gardens. Uh, one of my favorites is called the Circle of Life Garden, which is this beautiful garden by a master composter in the UK, Emma Cooper. And, you know, she's got these lovely, you know, rings. There's a chicken run, uh, and then the inner area, there's like fruiting crops, like berry crops, and then there's vegetables, and then there's flowers for the beneficial insects and the pollinators. And then she's got a wonderful, clever composting system. And even something that I don't often see much of, something called a comfrey tower, which uses a sterile variety of comfrey called Balking 14. And, you know, it's this easy, inexpensive way to create free food for your garden. So, um, yeah, I mean, the size of the gardens, it covers everything from very, very small or non-existent space gardens to if you have more land. And, of course, if you didn't have a lot of land, you could still even chop down for the bigger gardens to fit. And and I think the vertical element, um, that most certainly has, uh, I think it's changed the way people think about gardens, particularly yeah. in, in apartments and, and small spaces like that, because you can almost do them indoors. Um, That's one, true. Yeah. I think one, one I saw at a conference or trade show had got a picture frame on one side, and you could grow lettuce leaves and, and salad oh, yeah. plants on the other side. So when you've got that half wall between the kitchen, and the um, the family area or the dining area, you could have a, a piece for both sides. It's so clever and it's so modern, and a lot of people are doing that. You know, even creating their own, like you mentioned, like almost like a picture frame, and they put chicken wire in the back and landscape fabric, and they'll plant up, like you say, lettuces or herbs, and uh, and harvest them. You know, from these from their walls. It's and it, and it looks very ornamental as well. You can include lots of different colors. Uh, you know, it's amazing. And even in my vegetable garden, and I have about 2,000 square feet, so I'm not really short on space, but I still use vertical techniques there too. I grow a lot of things up. I choose a lot of vining vegetables just because it lets me grow more food in less space. So all these techniques, you know, they just kind of come together and, and just let us be more productive without needing to necessarily do a lot more work. And and I think with some of these gardens that you have in there, um, the elements of them, like, like for instance, the, the edible hedge and things like that, mm. you could combine two different sorts of gardens, one, one with the vegetables on the flat, one with vertical, and then the hedge around the outside. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and, and then you might even want to put some pots in there too from some of the, uh, you know, the different container garden ideas. Um, yeah, I mean, and in my own garden, I have to say, the problem with this book is that it's made me not happy with my own garden. <laughs> and now I find myself tweaking things and changing things and incorporating a lot of the ideas 
from the book into my garden. Even um, this is beautiful design from some UK garden designers, and it's um, garden squares for kids based on storybook ideas. And I, you know, my kids are getting you know they're getting closer to their teen years, and the older ones getting less tired of the, you know less patient with the garden, a little more tired of it. But he loves to eat from it. But you know, even engaging them, kids, with some of these fun ideas, it's just really easy to draw them in the garden. And doesn't even have to know they're learning anything. <laughs> you know, you can keep that a secret, but you can still engage kids in the garden in such an interesting way. Yeah, and I, I think just the range of of different gardens. I mean, it, it was an amazing ra- range that that you took, <laughs> and, and we'll be talking a little about some of the specific ones in uh, the next se- segment. But you know, I think we need to go for our first commercial break here, Nikki. Um, but we'll be back talking about some of these great gardens in groundbreaking food gardens with Nikki. On America's homegrown veggies, and we'll be back in just a moment. When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At bonnieplants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. Quick Stakes. That's Q-U-I-K steaks are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quicksteak.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick steaks, Q-U-I-K steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. Remember, you can catch up with us on Facebook at America's Homegrown Veggies. And if you miss any shows, you can find them on americaswebradio.com webpage. You can find them on iTunes and you can find them on Stitchers. This morning, we are talking with Nikki Jabor about groundbreaking food gardens. And we talked a little in general, Nikki, um, about uh, the book in general. Um, So now we're going to talk to some of the designs and I think the first one that really struck me um, is Amy Stewart's cocktail garden um, and I think this is going to be a really fun and popular garden so so what are some of the plants that she likes to use for cocktails and does she give recipes yeah 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 that's what everybody wants to know it's funny that one actually um made the cover the uh, grow your own cocktail ingredients and I guess Amy's garden has been very popular and she teamed up with Susan Morrison because it's kind of a neat story Amy, of course, is the New York Times best-selling author of a handful of books. I devour everything she writes. And um, her latest book is The Drunken Botanist. 
And when I heard that, I, I had to ask if she would contribute a plan to the book. And so I talked to her, and she told me that um, she, for, in, for the drunken botanist, for her research, uh, she started collecting all of these, you know, um, plants that were themed towards cocktails. And so uh, she had this outside of her kitchen door, she had this funny little collection in pots of this and that and all this, and she realized she needed to do something a little, a little better. So she, you know, got Susan Morrison, a local garden designer from, you know, California where Amy lives, and uh, Susan designed this wonderful uh, garden in this awkward, narrow strip of land by Amy's house. And it's right now, it's the most beautiful ornamental garden. It's been featured in Better Homes and Gardens, uh, in different magazines, Sunset as well. And um, this funny little strip is now just, like I say, just so productive and beautiful. So Amy includes a lot of her, uh, her favorite cocktail plants in it, including, I think, probably one of the more popular cocktail plants would be mint. So if you weren't sure... For example, you know, what you could add to your cocktails. Mint is probably the easiest one to start with. But she also has things like dwarf raspberries and blueberries because, uh, again, she doesn't have a lot of space, so she's opting for dwarf varieties so she doesn't have to use too much of her garden area. Uh, Ragosa roses, elderberries, uh, things like lemongrass. And she even uses plants like calendula, which a lot of us know as uh, an annual, for which I use in my, my, flower, my vegetable and flower gardens. But if you take the petals of calendula and add them to your drinks, the color of the orange or the yellow will bleed into the drink, but it won't actually affect the taste. So it's kind of a fun way to add a little pop of color to your cocktails. And she also includes things like um, pineapple sage, Mexican sour gherkin cucumbers, which are so fun and tiny, like little watermelons. So there's actually quite a range of things you can grow for a cocktail garden. <laughs> and and I noticed that the design that, that she had, she had mirrors on the wall. Is that to reflect like back onto the plant because of it being on a wall or were they for purely ornamental decorative reasons? Both, actually. You know, she um, she hung picture frames, mirrors. There's shelving, and on one of the shelves, she's got some strawberries and a, and like a, that hang in this basket over top. And the great thing about growing strawberries that way is when they're not sitting on the ground, when you're growing them in a container, yeah. or you know, not have problems like slugs and things like that as well. Um, you know, so it turned into a very ornamental space where Amy could sit with her friends, you know, make cocktails and enjoy, you know, enjoy basically being social outside. So again, it all comes back to her book, The Drunken Botanist. Yeah, another interesting one that that I noticed um, is the Chicago hot dog garden, which is at totally the opposite extreme of cocktails. Um, so, so what actually does a hot dog garden contain? Is it just the well, onions and the spices and things? Well, you know, I try to avoid theme gardens in this book. Honestly, I didn't want to have a whole bunch of different themes. I wanted to be is tackle awkward areas or situations like no space, shade, all that type of thing. But when it comes to Amanda Thompson, you know, she can do whatever she wants. And what she wanted to do was a Chicago hot dog style garden. And, of course, she lives in Chicago. You know, she's quirky and sassy and hilarious. And, you know, she is the gardening genius behind Kiss My Aster. Um, and she has her own great book out as well. So I really wanted to kind of capture her uniqueness and, and creativity. And uh, you don't have to grow it in a hot dog shape, although, you know, it's sketched out that way in the book, literally in the shape of a hot dog. Um, you could actually just have a little rectangle garden or a square garden, and it's something that you could really entice the kids with. And Amanda says, and I did not know this before I talked to her, but a Chicago hot dog itself, you never put ketchup on it. You're not allowed. It's against the law. So she says, uh, no ketchup. Therefore, you know, she, she has tomatoes for tomatoes, but not for ketchup. But she's got lots of fun things like um, bread seed poppies, because you put those in your bun. You know, cucumbers, of course, which you could do uh, with either a pickle wedge or a green relish. 
you know, she grows mustards, of course, and, and peppers, hot peppers, uh, dill, celery, tomatoes, again, for the top, for topping, not for ketchup. And, uh, she does it in such a fun, unique way. And she also included the side idea was that if you can source an old hot dog cart, you can upcycle it into a really cool, funky planter for your hot dog garden. So, I mean, she's just a source of so many fun and, and quirky ideas. Amanda's just great. Yes. Um, and what about the, uh, the Asian garden with Asian vegetables and things? Are they easy to grow and are the seeds and plants readily available for an Asian-themed garden? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, 10 years ago when I started growing a lot of Asian vegetables, they were not. You know, it was hard for me to find a lot of those things, and I would source from five or six seed companies across North America. And now I'm happy to say they are. Even if I go to my local hardware store, I can buy Mizuna and Tatsoy seeds. So um, I think the demand of gardeners for some variety has really resulted in these seeds being much more readily available. And I also grow quite a variety of gourds, too. Um, and the thing I like about this garden is not only uh, Wendy, you know, is this amazing designer uh, and gardener, and, you know, it's kind of based in her father's garden, but what I love about it is that um, she also includes some Asian techniques and Chinese techniques that she learned from her father. You know, they grow in large and raised beds. Often there's a lip formed around the top of the bed to help, you know, the water uh, basically stay in the garden and not run off during storms. So, you know, even some of the blanching techniques they do for some of the chives and things, uh, she shared that with me. And, you know, I just find it so fascinating. And now some of the vegetables that I already grow, I'm going to try some of these techniques on to see if I can be even more productive and maybe get some different flavors. So, I mean, it's just amazing with a little creative thinking what you can do with a food garden. Oh, and I, I think when you get different varieties, um, obviously it, it does make a big difference. Um, yeah. the, the, the other one that, that uh, I think is going, going to be popular would be a chili lover's garden. This is, well, this is Dave, uh, Dave DeWitt, and he is known as the Pope of Peppers. You know, he's got his own book out. Um, you know, oh, I shouldn't say own book. He's got dozens of books, actually. And, you know, he does, he, he's, he's the hot pepper expert and one of them in the world. And, uh, so he loves chilies. And so he shared his techniques, his favorite varieties. And, and it turned, originally it turned, it was a plan. You know, we had these four little beds. Uh, where he organized the plants, and then it kind of turned into more of a focus for this uh, on the actual plants themselves. And you know, some of them are quite mild, the chilies. Some are medium hot. Some are really hot, and some will literally blow smoke out your ears. And a lot of people <laughs> love growing peppers, so I hope this captures their imagination and introduces them to some varieties they may not be familiar with. Like a lot of people know the Scotch bonnet and the habanero, um, but maybe they're not familiar with I don't know Bishop's Crown or Scorpion or Angkor Sunrise. So, and of course, these seeds too. There's there's sites dedicated purely to chili pepper seeds. Um, you know, and Dave gives us a source in the book as well. But uh, it's amazing, like really, um, some of the variety of hot peppers out there and the people who love them. I always grow four or five varieties, but there's no way I can eat a habanero. I'm sorry, I got to stick to the medium and, and the mild peppers in my own garden. And, and I, I know in, in my garden, I, I tend to put kind of a few of the hotter ones in, in there if I can find them. Um, and they come in different shapes and sizes, yeah. peppers. Um, the plants themselves, you can get nice little shrubby ones that are great for containers, mm. as well as ones that you that really need to be out in the garden. And of course, we shouldn't really forget probably the, the most popular uh, type is the best tasting tomato garden. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, everybody, I think tomatoes are everybody's favorite summer vegetable. So, so how many different varieties did he put into that garden? 
Yeah, well, this is uh, this is from Craig LaHollier, and Craig is the called the North Carolina Tomato Man, and he's actually the guy that reintroduced us to Cherokee Purple Tomato, which is considered one of the best-tasting tomatoes out there, heirloom tomatoes, I should mention. Um, you know, a gentleman had sent him the seed, you know, I think, gosh, probably around 20 years ago now, and he grew them out, and since then he shared them with all these seed companies. So that was a uh, Cherokee Purple was a variety that was, you know, that was forgotten until Craig reintroduced it to all of us. So. He, what he, when he tells me to grow a tomato, I grow it, you know, because Craig just knows his tomatoes. So basically he gave us a dozen of his best-tasting tomatoes, 11 of which are heirlooms, and there's one hybrid, uh, which I have to say is the only hybrid I also grow, Sun Gold. It's just little orange balls of sugar and happiness. You know, it's the best way to describe Sun Gold tomato. But, you know, Craig's got some beautiful ones here, and he talks about their flavors and, and the colors and, and even offering tips on how to grow them and how he keeps his plants, you know, relatively disease-free as best as possible. Um, so, yeah, whatever Craig doesn't know about tomatoes is not worth knowing because he is a tomato genius. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, of course, the, the, the other one that uh, that really caught my attention was the 52 weeks of uh, salad. Oh. Yeah, um, I mean, is that, is that really possible even up in the north? I not, Listen, I know it's been a brutal winter. We talked about that. But I still, in my cold frames, have about, I think I counted last week, 22 varieties of food you know, in my cold frames and mini hoop tunnels. Again, even though it's been brutal, the lettuces didn't do so well this winter because it, just, it was too cold for them, but I still have so many things up in my garden. And the 52 weeks of salad uh, was an idea from Michelle Chapman in, in the U.K., and, you know, she has this wonderful blog called Veg Plotting, Veggie Plotting, and um, basically she has a small garden. And so she took a bed, a 4 by 8 foot standard garden bed, anybody can build it, and she planted it so that there's always something there, even in the middle of winter. And she tells us exactly what she grows and when she grows it, her favorite varieties, you know, for extra cold tolerance, especially in winter. Um, and she lays it out. Like, you don't have to follow her layout exactly, of course. You can do whatever you want. But, um, you know, she lays out how she does it so that, you know, even again, in the north, she has salad greens, something salad crops eat every single day of the year. And, you know, and I, I think so, certainly the uh, the heat, I think, um, in some areas stops some of the sal- salad vegetables, even if they're in a little bit of shade. That heat and humidity, I think, is as challenging as snow and cold weather. You're right. And do you know what I do? Because I tell you, it gets hot here in summer. People might not believe that. And I don't know if it's going to this year. But I keep them in any hoop tunnel hoops over two of my four by ten foot garden beds in summer. And then, you know, once, you know, it gets hot at the end of June, early July, I throw a bit of shade cloth, like a 30% shade cloth over those hoops. You know, in winter, they're covered in plastic for the vegetables. But in summer, I put a little bit of shade cloth over top. And that provides enough of shade that I can still harvest things like arugula and spinach all summer long without them going bolting immediately. So it's a little easy way to do that. Yeah, and I, th- I think when you, when you can get sort of the, the full 52 weeks, you know, yeah. I mean, to, to put into salads, and I think that is certainly a challenge, and maybe some of the varieties um, that, that are, are longer day um, and heat, more, more heat resistant uh, without bolting. Um, yeah. With, yes, and I, I think, you know, when you can get all those different varieties together, it really does make, um, it makes a colourful garden as much as anything else. It's exactly um, right. It's a beautiful garden. I, I think salad crops are so pretty. Um, you know, and the thing, too, is that's a really good way because I eat a lot of salads. So for me, anyone who eats a lot of salads can seriously save some money by growing your own salads because, uh, you know, it's like all, all our salads in the grocery store, the, all the little pre-plastic packaged boxes of salad greens come from California, which is ridiculous because that's pretty far from Nova Scotia. You know, and they're like five bucks for a small container. You can <laughs> save a lot of money, even in the winter with a cold frame. Uh, growing your own salad greens. So I think people, if they're new to gardening, new to food gardening, start with a container 
and grow some salad. Grow some like some leaf lettuce. Yeah. Uh, grow some Swiss chard, and you can definitely you know put a dent in your grocery bill. Yeah, but you know we need to go for a, a quick commercial break here. Uh, but I want to remind you that you're listening to America's Homegrown Veggies, and we will be back with more from Nikki Jabor and her groundbreaking food gardens in just a moment. When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much. Healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At BonniePlants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow Bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. You're back listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I am the host of the show, Kate Copsey, and this morning we are talking with Nikki Jabor about groundbreaking food gardens. Um, and Nikki, we talked about some of the edibles that were in some of these gardens. So let's talk about some of the places to grow and design ideas for, shall we say, challenging areas. Um, what, like full sun, most of them like full sun. Um, so what can we grow maybe in a shade garden or a semi-shade garden? You know, and there's a couple um, plants in this book that cover that. There's a really nice one from Kathy Martin, uh, who's in Boston, and she has this wonderful blog called Skippy's Vegetable Garden, which is named after her dog Skippy. And, uh, you know, she has a community plot, but she also has a very small backyard in Boston, and she still grows a wonderful you know, it's just a beautiful little, tiny little 300-square-foot garden. I don't even think it's that big, actually. Maybe it's 250 square feet. And she has these small, I think, three-and-a-half by nine-foot garden beds, and it's partially shaded and getting more so every year. So she concentrates on things, uh, a lot of leafy crops, a lot of salad crops. Um, she also grows things like um, cherry tomatoes instead of full-fruited tomatoes because when you're dealing with a bit of shade, you definitely want to uh, concentrate on, on fruiting crops that aren't don't need you know a lot of sunlight. And cherry tomatoes will need less sunlight uh, to produce their fruits and big varieties, big fruit varieties. Um, you know, even small like pickling cucumbers will do okay in partial shade. But you know, definitely things like hot peppers and big tomatoes. Look for your sunniest possible spot. Even if it's a container and you can move it to a sunny area, I would definitely advise that. Um, there's another plant in the book from Marjorie Harris, who I mentioned earlier in Toronto. It's very, you know, shade a lot now. 
And she actually uh, places patio stones, very light-colored, almost white patio stones that are very ornamental between her crops. And she creates this cool checkerboard effect, which makes it easy to maintain and plant and harvest. But then it does double duty because the patio stones reflect light back to the plants, you know, boosting the light she gets in her partial shade. So she, again, concentrates on a lot of leafy crops, the kales, even leafy herbs like parsley, um, you know, leafy root crops like beets. They do okay in partial shade. So I would stick to things like that if, if light is an issue. And, and another one was uh, the slope. I guess slopes are a distinct challenge unless you want to terrace them. Uh, I mean, the plants yeah. don't care. But the, for the, from the human point of view, it's, it's a challenge because of one getting there and uh, as well as anything else. Yeah, and of course, when you have a slope, like water runs off it really quickly. Often the soil's really dry, or as the water runs off, it carries the soil away, which is uh, erosion can be a big problem. Um, so Barbara Pleasant, who's written a handful of books that I love, um, she's a, also a contributor, a contributing editor to Mother Earth News magazine. She is wonderful, and she's been such an inspiration to me over the years. So Barbara designed a garden based on her own garden, which is a gentle sloped garden. Um, and, you know, all she does to basically hold the soil in place and create a nice spot for the plants, uh, she does it very inexpensively. You can put in expensive terraces, but most of us gardeners, you know, we're crafty. We can upcycle things. We like to reuse materials. So she just, she just uses pine boards and old rebar. And every four or five years, she goes out and puts a fresh pine board in as it breaks down. And she just creates a very simple terrace. And, of course, there's diagrams in the book. But um, that holds the soil for her. And then she offers lots of planting ideas and favorite varieties and just things that do well in her sloped garden. Uh, so, yeah, a slope does not have to be, you know, a challenge that can't be overcome. You can easily still grow food crops even in a sloped area. And uh, the one that I, I re- that really came to my mind, um, I guess, was uh, the truck garden. Talk of relocatable. Um, what, 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 how do you prepare maybe a truck for a garden um and you know i've seen a few of them uh, but uh, how do you prepare, prepare the truck for a garden in general well uh, that's leslie land who wrote for the new york times uh she has some wonderful books as well uh you know and a, be- a beautiful garden on the in the northeast but she, uh, she she doesn't she didn't necessarily mean a truck a garden per se i've seen that myself and i think it's so cool um you know but she meant more of a truck garden because when she was young uh, you know, vegetable trucks would come by and, uh, you know, you'd buy your vegetables oftentimes off the back of a pickup truck, you know, um, so it's a kind of a concept based on that. So her idea was to create a plot that'll produce lots and lots of vegetables and herbs and things like that, um, but, and she included varieties that you wouldn't normally find at the supermarket. So some of the vegetables that, you know, she loved the flavor of that were really outstanding in her opinion. So um, it was more basically inspired by a traditional truck garden, uh, but it's still an in-ground plot. And the, but she likes to uh, rotate her garden beds a lot, so she actually um, moves the soil around every couple of years just to kind of reshape the beds and boost the soil and add more compost to it and all that stuff. She's got some really interesting ideas, and uh, and you know what? I just really enjoyed working with her. Unfortunately, she has passed away since the book was finished. Um, but you know, Leslie Land, an amazing gardener and and so full of inspirational techniques, ideas, and varieties. And so, so how do you train? Um, something like a truck garden. Um, obviously, vegetables need water. Um, do, do you recall if he put holes underneath it, or, or is it like kind of a maybe a raised bed that doesn't need a, a lot of drainage? Well, the, the one she designed is actually in the ground. 
so you know, but because it's it's based, just based on an idea of a market garden. Um, but I, I have seen people doing this a couple times, driving by me in the back of a truck. There's a little garden, and I think they actually they use an old pickup and they drill holes through it. Uh, you know, so that the water can drain down. I mean, you would have to, uh, honestly. Otherwise, you'd, you'd damage the truck, and, and the vegetables would get way, you know, <laughs> waterlogged if there's no source of drainage. Yeah, um, and yes, and I, I think you know the ones I've seen have been more maybe an elderly type of truck um, that, that with the yeah. open bed, maybe one on its last leg. So, so why oh, we'll call that? Yes. <laughs> Um, and another interesting one that I that I saw was the concrete and steel garden, which is very very industrial type of look. Um, where would a garden like that fit, and, and what was the inspiration for that one? Well, Laura Matthews, she has a website called Punk Rock Garden, and uh, you know she's so fun and fabulous, and has these really interesting ideas. And and she basically, you know, she's a very crafty, resourceful gardener. Because I mentioned gardeners like to upcycle and recycle materials, and she thought that, you know, making a garden from scratch does not have to be expensive. And, you know, you might have to put a few phone calls in, but you might be able to find, um, you know, materials to make raised beds from old, you know, um, construction sites and things like that. A lot of old concrete planters, um, you know, cinder blocks, they, they just often get tossed or, or left in a pile to molder away somewhere. So if you can gather some from an old construction company after they do a demolition or something, you can use them to create a really uh, clever garden and raised beds because, A, they absorb heat and will warm up the soil, which is nice. And then B, they have these pockets on top where you could plant, you know, um, small rooted things or, uh, you know, edible flowers like nasturtiums, plus things like parsley and, and you know, different thymes and stuff like that. Um, so it's just an easy way to build a garden without having to spend a lot of money. And then you get this really interesting idea. And she actually was inspired by a garden she had seen at the Philadelphia Flower Show, I think around 2011 maybe when she was there. Um, so she got inspired by that, and then she came back and created this really cool garden. And her design actually uh, includes a couple of potato beds, raised, you know, potato planters. Um, I guess she calls them potato towers, made of the cinder blocks as well. And it's just, a, and it's easy to take apart if you have to take apart, you know. Or again, it's easy, and if they're heavy enough; they'll stay in place for many years. Yeah, um, and and some of the other ones that are that I noticed. I mean, people in in apartments uh, have to use the vertical space uh, a little bit more than maybe the rest of us. And you've got a couple of op- options in this area, like the vertical living walls and hanging gardens. Are they easy to put in and to maintain these vertical gardens, particularly in kind of an apartment type scenario? You know, they are. Um, the thing I love is, you know, again, a few years ago, it was very hard to find vertical gardening systems. Um, but now every time I go to one of the big garden shows, I was in Seattle recently. I just got back from Canada Blooms. You know, you go to the Philly shows. There's so many really cool and innovative products for vertical gardening, for hanging on the walls. And they're becoming much more affordable, whereas a couple of years ago, you'd have to spend hundreds of dollars uh, to create one of these. Now they're much, much more affordable, which is great. And some of the local garden centers, even in my neck of the woods, are carrying these systems. So I can go in and for $50, you know, pick up some sort of a gardening um, container pots that will affix to a wall. You can plant in them. Oftentimes they even have water reservoirs, so they hold water for a longer period of time. And uh, they're great for compact crops, like all the different salads, you know, as well as, um, you know, herbs and, and edible flowers and maybe some of the, the really compact fruited tomatoes, uh, some of the vining crops like cucumbers, the bush-type vining crops. 
So, uh, you know, you're only limited by your imagination. And I think vertical growing is going to continue to be a very big trend in the coming year. Yes. And, you know, another one that you have in there, I guess, is uh, one on gutters, um, being able to plant a, a gutter, which, again, is in the vertical space. Um, it, is a gutter really deep enough to be able to grow very much? Well, that was Jamie Jenkins, and that was such a neat idea. And it's this three-tiered gutter garden she created. And she did it at her own house. Uh, so it has been created and tested. And, uh, you know, she sent me lots of pictures. She grows things that are very shallow rooted in it. And of course, there's drainage holes, so the water drains out. But she grows, and, and it's in partial shade even, so it doesn't dry out as quickly. And she grows things like leafy crops. There's like leaf lettuces, um, you know, as well as Swiss chard and parsley and thyme, things that don't need a lot of space. Uh, and as well as, you know, small fruited strawberries. Uh, so, in, you know, in nasturtiums, uh, edible flowers, of course, and violas, Johnny Jump Up. So, there's quite a bit you can grow in, in the small space of a gutter. And, you know, for her, she put it on her deck, and it created this almost um, like a privacy screen, a living edible privacy screen between her and her neighbor's house. Uh, and, you know, just a really clever kind of neat idea. Oh, that just certainly is. And these are gutters that, that aren't being used on the house, right? These right. are specially but, – but can you use almost any well, commercial gutter? gutter? <laughs> Yeah, these are PVC pipe, PVC gutters you can use, um, and that's what she used, and she drilled holes in the bottom, and, you know, there's like a 12-step process for how to make them, and she just hung them up with chains, which she, again, was detailed in the book, uh, you know, and uh, so it's kind of like a great little, you know, Saturday afternoon project. If you're looking for something fun to do, you could build a pallet garden like Joe Lample does in the book, or you could build gutter gardens like Jamie Jenkins. There's, you know, there's a lot of fun little, uh, you know, weekend project ideas like that, which is nice, because oftentimes, you know, I'm walking around my garden saying, what can I do now? And I'm always looking for fun ideas, and, and these guys, are, you know, again, they're full of great ideas. I, I think it is a great idea, you know, they, to have gutters sort of zigzagging all, all across, all, I guess, down down a wall or something like that. I mean, it's great great use of um, that vertical space. And so, yeah. so the, wa- the water doesn't zip from one to the other as it comes down. It just drains normally through uh, the base. Is that right? Well, for, for Jamie's gutter garden, it's, it's almost like three gutters hanging over top of each other. And the top one, as it drains, will drain into the second one. And the second one will drip, you know, drip into the third one. So, you know, it does recycle water that way, which is nice. So if you're overwatering and water tends to run off, it's just going to keep on going down the gutters to make sure all the soil is thoroughly moistened. So, you know, it's, uh, it's just another element of it that just makes sense, really. Yeah, and, and of course, you can cut down the gutters to a small size as well yeah. if you wanted just a small area. I mean, I, 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 mean, just, no, I think hers were only lengths of three feet. Uh-oh. Although you could easily do four feet, probably, uh, or whatever your space allows. But you can cut them to any size you want, just to custom, you know, customize it to your own house, your own porch, your own deck, your own wh- wherever. I, I think it's a great idea. Um, yeah, and and there, there were so, so many inspiring gardens in there. But, you know, we need to take our final commercial break here. But come back, everyone, and listen to more about groundbreaking food gardens with Nikki Jabor after these messages. When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much. Healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At BonniePlants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow Bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, 
every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. Quick stakes. That's Q-U-I-K stakes are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick stakes, Q-U-I-K stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. you're enjoying America's homegrown veggie show this morning. We have been talking about groundbreaking food gardens with award-winning author Nikki Jabor. Um, and Nikki, this this had to be a tough project uh, because you've got over 70 gardens in the book and they were all done by different garden writers. And somebody once remarked to me that organizing garden writers is a bit like herding cats. So... <laughs> So was it as much fun as you thought or, or more hard work? Yes. <laughs> yes to all. It was definitely fun. And, you know, one of the best things is, uh, you know, a lot of these people you see at trade shows, you talk to them on social media, but I never, you know, really get a chance to connect with them. And, you know, I felt like I got to meet 72, actually, the 73 plans in the book, but one of them is mine. So 72 people. And I got to talk to them and get to know them a little bit. And, you know, that was that was wonderful, such a great aspect of this book. And, you know, not only getting inspired, but just meeting all these people and, and just, you know, having conversations with them. Um, you know, so that was great. And, like I said, I'm not that organized, so I, I had to learn to be more organized. And my goal, too, I mean, I had a lot of goals for this book, but I wanted to make everybody happy. I want everybody who contributed to the book to come out and be really pleased with the final result. And, I mean, story publishing, they do a fabulous job. They, they're Everybody works there is amazing, and, you know, they just really worked hard on this project and, and helped make everybody happy, and so far, I haven't heard from anybody that's not happy, so knock on wood. <laughs> and, and, and so the, the book is on the market as we speak, correct? Well, actually, today, April 5th, is the launch, the official launch party is happening in just a couple hours for Groundbreaking Food Gardens here in Halifax. 
Um, but yes, it is now available. It was available as of March 25th. So yes, it's, it's in stores. You know, it's going to be at, at garden centers. It'll be at some, you know, large scale, um, home improvement places. But yeah, bookstores will definitely carry it as well as those places online. Yes. And, and of course, there, there are, we, we didn't have time to go through all the gardens in, in the book. And, and as we mentioned, some of them can be combined. Um, but some of the ones that we missed, there's a, a beekeeper's garden, homesteading, biodynamics, yeah. kids' gardens, school gardens, a brewer's garden, um, just a fun, fun mix of gardens. Um, and, I, you know, it's, it's just kind of one of those books, and I'm thinking, ooh, I could do that. <laughs> is, is that the you idea know, of it? It turned out that a lot of the um, designs in the book, you know, ends up focusing on something that I think we're all concerned about right now. Like you mentioned Beekeeper's Garden by Kenny Point. I mean, he's so he's so great. Uh, but, you know, Jessica Walliser, uh, you know, she has a, a beneficial insect garden. So you, you can attract more of the good guys to your garden as well to, to maybe, you know, reduce the bad bug populations. And, you know, Jessica, you know, is an amazing author in her own right. And uh, I love the garden she contributed to the book. And actually, she and I also have a website we do with uh, two other uh, ladies called Savvy Gardening, and so we're sharing all that information online as well. Um, but yeah, pollinating, pollinator, beneficial insect, bees, all that is very trendy right now too in our gardens because I think any gardener knows it's not just about you, it's also about what you're doing in terms of the environment and diversity, so I hope that we're all trying to think a little more about the bees and the, the good bugs out there. And I, and I think that variety in a garden, um, I, I heard, heard that a lot um, over the last co- couple of weeks, different elements in a garden, not having a monoculture. And I think by, by looking at all these different gardens, I mean, literally you can um, combine the walls and the, the pl- plots on the, on the ground um, and containers oh, yeah. and just mix mix and match along the way. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, there's just there's so many ideas and techniques and stuff in this book. And even though I wrote it and I've lived it for two and a half years, I'm still wrapping my head around it. And then all the things I want to do in my own garden, you know, <laughs> so all the changes I'm starting to make now and sketching out of the garden beds. And maybe I should move this one here and do this there. Um, yeah, it's it's just uh, it's so much great information. And again, all these contributors, I was, I'm so grateful. They took the time out of their very busy schedules to share some of their their, their wisdom and their expertise with me. And uh, again, eventually with all of all of the readers of the book. So it was very kind of them to do that. Yeah, and and you've got a lot of historic ones in there as well yeah. um, with different people. Um, but what about um, book signings and presentations? Are you taking groundbreaking food gardens on the road, so to speak? I have been on the road since early February, actually. <laughs> I kicked off my, my uh, 2014 speaking schedule and, and book tour, per se, uh, by going to the, uh, the the Northwest Flower and Garden Show in Seattle, which was my first time there. And, I mean, that was mind-blowing. They're so well-organized. The people who came, just they all wanted to learn. They had great questions, so that was amazing. Um, and then I just got back from if Toronto, Canada Blooms, which also was fabulous. And uh, I got to talk to lots of wonderful gardeners there. And, again, did a lot of book-related things while I was in Toronto. And, uh, you know, the book launch parties today, I've got lots of – I've got about 24 more talks coming up in the next two months. And I'll, leave, I'll be back to the U.S. actually in July when I go to the Phipps Conservatory in Pittsburgh for my first visit there, and I'll be talking about groundbreaking food gardens. Oh, that, that is a beautiful conservatory there. Um, oh. Is there a list of this on your website, which is NikkiJabor.com? Is that right? Yes. 
Yeah, if you go to NikkiJabor.com, and I mean, it's a very simple website, click on events at the top, and you'll find a listing of, uh, of a lot of the events that are taking place, um, you know, in the coming days and such like that as well. You can find me on, you know, if you go there as well, you'll find me on Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and, and uh, even, I guess, well on Savvy Gardening with my, uh, my, my co-conspirators of Savvy Gardening. So, uh, yeah, you can, you can definitely find me by going to my website. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you have a blog on, on the web as well. Is that right? I think most of yes. us love to share what we're doing in our gardens and, uh, you know, things we come across, you know, whether I'm at a show and I'm sharing pictures from a show or, you know, my parsley that overwintered or something like that. I'm always sharing crazy things on my blog. <laughs> and, and you've got some great pictures of you you out in the public. Um, so if somebody wanted to invite you to their event, um, is there a contact um, on your Web page as well? Yes, for sure. They can find me on there, absolutely. Uh, I'm also part of the website greatgardenspeakers.com, and uh, people can contact me through there, too. But, yeah, um, yeah, people can email me or contact me through social media from my website uh, if they're interested in maybe having me speak for them. Yeah, because I love doing that. And, you know, I would be very remiss, though, if I didn't mention that you, of course, uh, had contributed a very inspiring plan to this book as well, uh, you know, a formal herb garden. That's, I mean, you, you showcase how they're both decorative, how they're both useful, and you've got a wonderful, it's almost like a tapestry effect, the garden you created, and it's not that big, so it's very doable in any property in pretty much any zone in the U.S., so I want to thank you for taking the time to contribute to this book as well. Oh, you are more than welcome, Nikki. It was an honor to do it. Um, oh, thank you. I, I'm the one who was honored, though, because it was really fun working with you. Um, but but the, the book doesn't have um, too many photographs, uh, but it's got beautiful artwork. Um, mm. and, and so how did the um, – who did the artwork on the, on the book? Uh, beautiful pastel kind of p- images and things like that. Yeah, some of them are really uh, – I think they're really kind of fun and, and really interesting uh, country-type designs, like Anne Smith is – amazing illustrator and she did some really beautiful uh you know illustrations for the book um you know there's quite a few there's also elaine sears and marianne carsley uh those are the three illustrate uh, illustrators who works on the book um you know and it, it was impossible to do pictures unfortunately for this book just because there were so many types of gardens and we couldn't recreate them all or else the book would have cost four thousand dollars a copy instead of you know <laughs> instead of under 20 bucks but um you know, yeah, the illustrators, I have no talent for drawing at all, so I, I totally respect what they did and how they, you know, took all the information I gathered and, you know, the rough sketches, because literally some of the designs from the, the, the contributors were on napkins, um, and, and, you know, they turned it into these beautiful, whimsical, colorful gardens, and it just astounds me that anybody can do that. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. and, and I think when, when you've got computers, it makes things so much easier. Um, yeah. and, and, of course, you've got resources at the back. What type of resources do you give? Um, are they growing resources or what? Well, yeah, there are a lot of resources in this, but I think the most important section for resources is actually the very first section in the book is basically all about the contributors. So you're going to find, um, you know, well, people look you up, Kate. You know, they're going to find uh, your website. They're going to find out how to find you on social media. You know, they're going to find uh, the, web, the radio show, America's, you know, web radio is listed there. They're going to find out about, you know, your master gardener and how you do speaking and, and where you live. Um, they're going to find out your whole bio and information. Then they can find every other contributor and, and, you know, their books, you know, what they do. It's all there in that first section of the book because, you know, again, these are the people that took time out of their busy schedules to make this book happen. And if it wasn't for them, uh, it wouldn't have happened. I can guarantee it. So, uh, you know, they're showcased in the very front portion of the book. So check them out and, and you know, follow these people because I tell you, everybody who contributed to this book is very inspiring and they're full of really interesting ideas. So. 
And and say, I, I think you know, being able to combine a couple of those different elements, um, particularly yeah. if you've got that little bit more space to be able to combine ed- edible containers with the vertical ele- element, and um, I think you've got community gardens and and school gardens, and pretty much one. I, I can't imagine somebody wanting being out there that wants to do a food garden that's not going to find one in there that they could use. Yeah, I hope so. I hope they'd find at least a handful, if not a dozen or two dozen, uh, of ideas they can use. And when you read each section, it's not just about looking at the illustration and the plan. You know, read each section carefully, and you'll find, you know, gosh, uh, Doug Oster, you know, um, he, he does these amazing uh, videos. He writes for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and he's got, he does this wonderful Italian heritage garden that showcases a lot of his experiences, but even shares this really neat idea for tomato staking that he learned when he was in Italy. So, I mean, there's lots of little tidbits in here that I hope people pull from it uh, and maybe think differently about growing food, you know, think differently than they did before. Yes, and I'm not going to t- um, sort of ask you which one was your your favorite one because that would be a bit your like, like a, <laughs> that. That would be a bit like asking which is your favorite child. <laughs> yeah, I better not answer that either. <laughs> yes, um, but you know we, we're we're almost at the end of the show, Nikki. I mean, it, it's getting great reviews, um, and as I, say, I think there's probably at least one garden that everybody can use, and hopefully there's going to be several that some of us can use in our own backyards. A, a great a, a great book. Well, thank you so much. I, I, again, I really appreciate it. I, I appreciate you taking the time today to have me on your show. Uh, you know, I love listening online, so it's always great to, to be a guest. So thank you very much, Kate. Yes. Um, and, you know, say it's called Gra- Groundbreaking Food Gardens. Um, Nikki Jabor from Wonderful Canada. Um, and, I, you know, I, I think, think when people can order this uh, online, um, they, can, they can see all those different designs. I think it's just so inspiring. Um, say I'm, I'm going to be going out to look for a pallet and some gutters. <laughs> Well, you can blame Joe Lample for that because that's his design in the book. <laughs> and, and I will most certainly, uh, if I if I do these, I will take some pictures for you. Um, oh yeah. Um, and, and yes, and I, I'm sure sure that if people uh, would you welcome p- pictures, um, maybe on your Facebook, if people pick up this book and they do, hey, I did that garden. Oh, are you kidding? Of course, I love when people tag me in their Twitter or Facebook photos or on Pinterest. You know, with what they're doing in their gardens, whether, you know, especially if they're taking an idea from the book and adapting it, or even my first book, The Your Own Vegetable Gardener, I get so many cold frame photos from people, and I love it. So please <laughs> do so, because then oftentimes I repost them on my blog to share them with everybody else. So, uh, yeah, and anytime people take photos, let me know, because I want to see it. Please. Oh, yes. And I'd say that, that, fir- that first book really inspired me to put cold frames in and, you know, just what you can do. And that was the year-round gardener, um, which shows some beautiful snowy pictures. And, yes, you can actually grow in snow. Um, but, but we're right at the end of the show, uh, Nikki. Um, I want to thank everyone for listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show this morning. Thank you to Bonnie's for sponsoring the show this morning. Uh, thank you, Nikki. You've been a great guest, as always. Um, Everyone, we will be back next week with another show talking all about growing veggies. Have a good gardening week, everyone, and join me back here next Saturday. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.